Welcome committee. I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's going on, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, what a week it has been! I know we've had a very busy I've uh, seen, last couple of weeks. I've seen you so much in the last couple of days. I know. It's, what is this? Our ninth interview in 24 hours? Something like that. Yeah. Something to that effect. Um, we had. I was over at the Whitehall Hotel. Um, speaking to raya martin who directed uh, a fantastic neo-noir called smaller and smaller circles all takes place in the philippines he's a filipino filmmaker himself and um we had a lot to talk about and uh i i talked to him before i saw the screening at the asian pop-up cinema and uh so got the kind i didn't want to spoil it for myself i was like just tell me about you tell me a little bit about the film we knew the premise but i was like i want to be surprised when i go to the screening and it was great it was a lot of fun over at the amc uh downtown river east and you did that on what thursday wednesday yeah that was that was wednesday, uh, wednesday. Yeah, yeah that was wednesday my god you're just all, you're all over the city yeah and then yesterday we uh spent what four hours four hours yeah four hours at the davis theater for the middle coast film festival just doing so many interesting interviews so much fun uh so much fun was had and you'll be able to hear those over the next couple of weeks yeah we'll be sharing those the smaller and smaller circles interview is up now on wgnradio.com and also apple podcasts um so you can find them there definitely listen to that and then uh we'll be releasing the middle coast ones over the next yeah, intermittently um i will say we're we're gonna be gone on the on october the 6th yes so we will uh have we'll be sharing some older interviews that we did from middle coast then um before before we get into this i have to talk about something that's what been is happening it? what is it tom um have you ever heard of an app called drama fever drama fever no but it sounds interesting so it's a streaming service that specifically you know we, we you've got your netflixes you got your hulus they kind of distribute Netflixes. Netflix. <laughs> is that the plural of netflix yeah oh uh, you got your netflixes you got your hbo goes um amazon primes and they kind of distribute like a, a lot of different kind of stuff very broad base but recently i have found my way into the more niche market of streaming services um amc is one called shutter that only does kind of horror and yep. genre film um i've been trying out funimation and crunchyroll for anime and yes. all that kind of stuff but drama fever specifically specifically distributes korean dramas mm. and i have i had zero context for this but there were so many there were so many different um people that i spoke to they're just like oh no you you're, you're gonna love it like you think you're not gonna love it but you're gonna love it and uh <laughs> one that my girlfriend and i have been watching um is called uh goblin i think okay and i know it stars uh the lead from train to busan which is one of my favorite horror movies of the last like five years and it deals with this guy who has essentially been cursed to live forever uh and he's got this like invisible sword in his chest and he just walks around with it yeah but no no one can see it except for the goblin's bride the woman he right. is destined to marry and and pull the sword out which would kill him but it turned you know twist of fate you know he really falls in love for this with this girl and you know it's that question of like you know i'm 900 years old i'm re- i want to die like i'm tired of being alive but also if he dies he can't be with this girl and all that kind of stuff and you know it seems a little bit like a pulpy sort of thing um it sounds as though there's a part of him that can only be seen by the person that he's meant to be with and then yeah upon that discovery there's there's fucking layers man i I you know what that reminds me of a little bit what is the uh, movie that we're going to be talking about today yes the film is called banana season and it's a high concept dramedy centered on an unusually beautiful relationship developed between peter a little person who's always believed he could fly like the birds his dwarfish body most closely resembles and his old high school friend son a talented cage fighter who finds inflammation Inflicting harm on others more unbearable 
more unbearable than simply absorbing the pain himself. When these two old friends reconnect on one fateful afternoon, their parallel journeys lead them to fight the fears and take flight. So let's uh, let's go around the horn here and uh, get everybody who's involved. We, it's a full house today. It's a packed house. We got four. We got four. Uh, let's start. Let's start over here. James, why don't you introduce yourself? Great. Uh, my name is James Choi. I am the uh, producer and the editor on this film. Hi, uh, my name is Sang Hun Lee. I am one of writers and the director of the film. Hi, I'm Brennan Stacker, and I am an actor, and I play uh, Brianna. Hi, I'm Eve Rydberg, and I played May in the film. Well, welcome all to NoCo Cinema. We really appreciate your time coming on, and uh, thank you so much for sharing this film with us, because uh, we were lucky enough, James was kind enough to send us a screener for festivals, and I watched it last night. Connor, you also watched it. Yep. And um, I, I, the first thing that really grabbed me about Banana Season was what a, what a spectacular relationship that is depicted on this screen between Peter and Son. Like, from the moment you they come together in the film, pretty early on. Yeah, almost it, immediately. Almost immediately, they reconnect. And the, the level of naturalism that the two actors play these characters with, the, the honest chemistry that you can see on the screen, was really refreshing. I feel like you've got re- two really well-defined characters that play a little bit off of each other in terms of personality. Son, is a, he's a little bit more of an elevated guy in the sense that like he's pretty high energy most of the time. You know, he's... Um, very extroverted he's very kind of an outgoing dude well peter with is his own insecurities yeah with his own insecurities underneath and then peter is you know quiet you know kind of wants to keep to himself a little bit as is, is he approaches the relationship with a certain level of trepidation right but he's very centered in himself right he mm-hmm. knows exactly who he is which in which bears out in the rest of the film yeah so um i guess let's let's just start there uh Sang-Hoon, tell us about um, making this film and uh, depicting the relationship between these two men on screen. I think when I just started thinking about these films, always those two characters were in mind, and then I built up the story around these two characters, and then you know I created eventually May and Brianna. So uh, you know the little person, uh, the Peter character, he was always my kind of a main guy when I started this uh, story. And then also the Korean-American cage fighter was not real life, but I had my friend, and I have my friend, and then he's a, a not cage fighter, basically, mm. but he's a Taekwondo master guy. And then he, I kind of modeled him because he just always wanted to make something, but always kind of a couple of steps behind of making something. Mm-hmm. But... You know, he's, it's not like he's always frustrating or he is just jaded or anything because he's just, you know, like other people, like we live our lives, mm-hmm. and, and, but he tries in his own way. So I was always interested in characters, especially when I create a story that uh, people who doesn't get much spotlight from society and community, but, you know, sometimes they have their own beautiful season. So, yeah, that is the kind of beginning of this story and i love how the film it kind of keeps you guessing you don't really know what it's going to be necessarily because when it starts you think okay it's going to be a buddy comedy and then it turns into sort of a romantic drama and then it ends up almost just as a full drama and then it almost also at the very end it kind of comes full circle right back into that buddy comedy so when you started out with writing this film you obviously said that starting with the characters was your beginning but what did you set out to do when you started wanting to make this film when you decided that you wanted to make it i had a very just a couple of simple clear vision some visual i don't know some filmmakers they just have few just visual before even they start making stories so i had one vision that the guy is coming in coming framing in and then the far away there's a water tower just one little dot is falling that was always in my image so and then some other images like uh, you described there's a you know the shadow wing growing up oh yeah i love that so i don't want to talk too much about the film but anyway Mm -hmm. i have to talk about the film so (laughs) so i didn't actually uh have any ending or detailed story so I had a treatment before I started writing the screenplay, but I was not really tied into a certain uh, storyline. So more like, a, okay, I have two characters. And then also I had a great uh, 
couple of writers who just worked with me. So we try to see how they are doing. So these characters, we know these characters, let's follow and then let's see what happened as if they are real people in life. So we just try to kind of a report and try to research about those characters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I like the the visual ideas that you had coming out in this film um and you said that you were you had things in mind up in your head do you like to storyboard when you uh make a film or like draw out the scenes or do you just go from what's up here what's what you're seeing in your head right i'm just trying to more like a collecting or getting more references because Mm -hmm. i'm a horrible painter or draw i cannot draw (laughs) anything other than stick figure so I try some storyboard to share my idea with DP, but I haven't done any detailed storyboarding. This is something I always wish, but I gave up 25 years ago. Yeah, and storyboarding, I never... it's difficult. It's hard to get that. It's hard to get that down. Like you see some, some like Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that right. guy literally just paints the entire. He paints and draws out the entire movie and then just shoots all of that. But I have to say with. Um, what what you achieved here with a lot of the shots it's just it it feels like how is this not painted you know if you, you can really see the the vision for it absolutely and, you, and uh, i think you really accomplished what was going on in your head and getting it onto onto film um i really love the character of sun i really think he's an interesting guy he's so charismatic um james kaisen plays him so well and I really find the idea that he's a fighter, but he doesn't like inflicting harm. I think there's a scene when he's in the ring and uh, there's a trainer or a coach of some sort. And he's like, when are you going to stop being a punching bag? Um, why was it important to you to have him be that kind of fighter? And was it difficult to have a character that is, you know, physical in that way, but is doesn't want to actually inflict pain mm-hmm. so when i thought about this character he is not like a, he has a very deep philosophical idea about being you know that kind of a fighter mm-hmm. but i think i wanted to show the a lot of contradiction they're like a self-contradiction like a if you think about even uh peter you know he's a little person he believes he can fly but there is very absurd dream and then son also he's talented and then he wants to be a good fighter but he's just contradicting himself because uh if you as long as you're a fighter and you're going out there fight with someone else that's your job even if he's doing more like a hobby you know as a local cage fighter but showing that two very uh, big a contradiction was kind of to me representing like a most of people like when a lot of times when you want to do something and then when that happens sometimes you know you're freaking out Mm -hmm. and then people say okay you have to get over that to be a great human being and if you want to achieve something you have to just win over your fear inside of you and then you gotta get out of there but i we see then so many people of going that way, becoming great human being, and then just overcome the obstacles. Even I teach film, and then when I teach film to students, okay, good story is like a you know character with a good desire, and then achieve the goal by overcoming obstacles. That's a good story. But you know, when I was thinking my movie, like I was like, fuck that, like you know, <laughs> we see that kind of how many times, yeah. right? And then I want to show the people who really don't make it, but their life is beautiful. Yeah, the 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 beautiful failure in a sense, like. Yeah. I, you know, I just really love watching these guys struggle and not necessarily succeed, you know, or the struggle is really what's interesting, you know, if, but while I was watching it, my thought was, you know, if they, if they succeed, they succeed. And that's great. If they don't, they don't. But I was just the process of it and being on this little journey with them um, was really ultimately the treat for me, Uh, I think really summed up in the scene with uh peter and son when they're sitting uh smoking a joint in the bathroom i like what it was just such a great character moment for me that's when i think i really hopped on board with these guys i'm like they are really friends they are really connecting over something and these are characters that i cannot wait to spend more time with um i have to ask what was it like shooting that scene you know uh tell us about how that came 
how that scene came together and why you know this kind of communal drug use was a good thing for them and a good way to describe their friendship so obviously that's one of my favorite scenes too and then that scene was way longer but thanks to james and he said no it doesn't work. I'm sorry. You gotta get really, really <laughs> shorter because I just loved it. I had a lot of improv. We show some kind of improv moment in the end. So I designed few improv scenes at the end of the scene. Maybe you can talk about it a little later mm-hmm. how I designed that. But yeah, and uh, from the beginning, uh, I had that's the one of the scene. I had a clear vision so how I want it to look like, and then even if it got it get just cut shorter I really wanted to put uh, some essential moment when they do this kind of a language game mm-hmm. I don't want to say yeah. a lot you know when you just repeat same word over and over and over probably as you just uh, tested or had this play when you were a kid and then just all the meaning is just evaporating you know one of the linguistics game when you say ma 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 like a hundred times and yeah. what does even ma mean right and the connotation <laughs> yeah. and denotation is just yeah. totally separated so I uh, really uh, kind of wanted to show that they are together but are they really together right and then but Ironically, that's the moment of really bonding. So it's like a, a to me, like it's a very ironical moment. So mm-hmm. they couldn't understand each other, but ironically, I kind of get this guy, you know, that kind of moment. That's interesting that you bring that up, the linguist game. And there was something that when I watched it, I didn't really think, I thought that it was just like a funny beat, right, in that scene. But it's it kind of ties in with the question that I wanted to ask. So, like, you spend enough time with something, like a word. You hear it over and over again. You spend enough time with it. Something that, like, ma has such an innate meaning that you know what it is, but the more and more you hear it, the more time you spend with it, the more kind of absurd it gets, the more you sort of, like, start losing sense of what it means, right? And then I feel like where the characters really start progressing is in the film when they separate from one another, Mm -hmm. when the... Uh, the fighter starts dating the ring girl and he realizes that she kind of gives him the confidence to overcome those contradictions that you were talking about earlier where he is a fighter and wants to be a great fighter but can inflict harm on other people and then finally when he gets to the point where he can inflict harm on other people he wins the fight then he kind of can't stop right so i was going to ask is that a was that sort of a a commentary on something that you wanted to bear out in the film like when somebody finally achieves something that they've wanted for so long sometimes it changes them in a way not necessarily for the good or that that was something that i wanted mm-hmm. to ask i think that's the uh the part of the character that i just said described and then like you said finally he makes it and he's happy but at the same time he's just questioning himself am i really happy with this and then obviously he doesn't want to go back to where he was who just okay human piñata kind of a character right and then he was sincere when he said to brianna girlfriend said i want to win you know i want to give you that but that was also a huge misunderstanding because brianna said doesn't she, she fell for son not because he's a brilliant fighter but because he is a sincere human being right mm-hmm. so he just uh in the end he betrays not because of his intention, but because of the you know way his life goes, he betrays himself and he betrays Brianna mm-hmm. and he betrays you know uh, his friend Peter too. So like finally, okay, so I feel like I, I I'm going to the direction that I'm going to lose everything. So I think that, that also made kind of a two different end of direction. Son goes to one end, Peter goes another end. Yep. So you know to prepare the ending mm-hmm. of this film. I don't know. It sounds kind of a very abstract because I don't want to talk too much about no, this. Yeah, no, we don't so, want to give anything yeah. away. That was perfect. <laughs> so there's that a kind perfect. of a limit that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Poncho Moller, who plays Peter, uh, another fantastic member of the cast, of, of a fully fantastic cast. Um, he was so so interesting to watch, and he played his role with such a, such a level of humility. And um, I wanted to talk about the the way that the film engages with him being a little person um there are moments where son and you know does refer to him as a midget or kind of like makes makes fun of the fact that he's a little person but it doesn't seem like peter takes it takes it hard or it doesn't seem so much of a pejorative 
uh can you tell me a little bit about having a character who is a little person and engaging with that in the film but not making it the whole of the film Mm -hmm. so his character if you remember the film toward the end of the movie his family is around normal size Mm -hmm. so he's only one little person in his family so sometimes it happens Mm -hmm. so he is familiar with living with uh, the normal side person. So probably when he was young, he didn't recognize it. And then all of a sudden it hit him very hard. So I'm very different. So there's the moment that he decided to be different because I otherwise he couldn't kind of justify his existence in his family and in his society. So he always, uh, I think that desire, because no matter what I do, Basically, like like I said, this character is, uh, doesn't have like a high philosophy. Just very uh, strong motivation of Peter is just I wanted I want to be different because there must be the reason I am this you know the the little person. So then she is thinking and thinking, and then okay, got it. I can fly totally. I can do it. Of course, there was an absurd dream, and then she has mm-hmm. never been successful, but he will be successful. So that's the uh, uh, from his root as from his family, and then also I think if you see him Pancho as a character, because before I worked with Pancho, I haven't had a chance to work with the little people as an mm-hmm. actor or any kind of a, a some sort of a story form. So I try to talk a lot with him, and then he is of course very a uh, confident person as an actor, and then mm-hmm. he used to be a skateboarder, professional level of skateboarder. Yeah, so it- if you. Google, uh, the, find some YouTube video, you cannot believe like how great he was. Hey, he's a, one of the first little people to ever get endorsed as a professional skateboarder. Right, yeah. Which is spectacular. And his life itself is very colorful and great. And he's yeah. also very successful in LA as an mm-hmm. actor. So I try to talk to him more. And then he's being a little person is also, he's aware of it. And then he's also you know, telling me that I'm just getting a lot of character role, you know, some, mm-hmm. some horror movie, you know. Yeah, so he was in Rob Zombie's, Rob Zombie's 31. Movie. Yeah. So oh, wow. he was really happy that he can play this drama. So kind of try to uh, find out or sometimes try to kind of a, uh, change my uh, dialogue and the character into more Pancho's actual life and advice because obviously he knows life as a re- little person. Mm-hmm. So I think that helped me a lot to understand even my character uh, through Pancho too. So so I would like to talk a little bit about um, we've been talking about how you directed the film but you also wrote the film and uh, you mentioned earlier that there was a large amount of improvisation that was happening during the rest of the film mm-hmm. and various scenes. Um, could we bring the rest of the actors in and just talk about a little yeah. bit about how uh, how it was to be able to improvise in a film and then I'm also curious about how much of the film was really improvised. So let's <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eve, go. Go yeah, quick. Um, I mean, uh, a great deal of the film was written. Um I think it was sort of that there would be some space at the top and at the end of scenes right. to bring in sort of moments of of uh spontaneity or something that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um so and I think also I Sung-hoon could speak more to this. I it was more um Son and Peter's scenes, I think, that were improvised. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this, my scenes with Poncho were were pretty carefully written. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a really wonderful experience. Poncho himself is such a warm, um, charismatic human, and I think kind of to what you all were talking about just now. So much of this film is about these two characters that, on the surface, seem really different and seem really outside of society, but ultimately they are human just like the rest of us and the way that Brianna and May both deal with these uh, men is not from a place of oh you're such a weird person like mm-hmm. you're you're so outside of society it's really like seeing them for who they really are and what their soul really is and i think that was a huge part of this script was that these women see these men for who who they truly are as opposed to like the way society has placed them in the world um, that really doesn't have anything to do with improv. Yeah. <laughs> improv but, well, it's, it's yeah. important because those those character moments are s- super... Uh, that's what's interesting about it. And I mean, it definitely helps that um, both James and Pancho are like so damn funny. Like they're so oh, funny yeah. to watch and they're so... It's that, it's that warmth, it's that humanity that they approach the characters with despite being like different in personality. 
I just I just love when two characters get together and do something really it's magical. It really is pretty magical. Uh and I, like I said, I can't get enough of them like I could spend 2-3 hours watching them in these characters in these um in these roles. Uh you know, can you tell us Brianna a little bit about your experience on the set? Sure. Um yeah, working with James was uh was a fantastic experience. He has such a light and a um, a grace about him when it comes to approaching um, his character. And, uh, you know, Brianna meets Sun kind of in a tumultuous part of her life, kind of they're both in this these transitional stages where they don't necessarily know where they're going, why they're going, the direction they are, if mm-hmm. they're even happy with the direction that they're going in, and they kind of just, like, bump into each other, and it's just sort of this spontaneous combustion of a relationship that happens um and which is such a gift as an actor because when you have uh, that juxtaposition you know inside of a character where their you know their private life and their public life are competing like that it just creates this enormous challenge to to find the the truth within that without mm-hmm. you know and working with James was fantastic because he does that so well um so i honestly when i was in the scene with him it was just like all i all i did was play play off of what he you know gracefully gave me and that was mm-hmm. fantastic and then the scene would be over and i'd be like well oh we all just yeah Whoa, that was, that was just, magical. Yeah, like yeah. an out of oh, body hey. experience. <laughs> yeah. So nice. Yeah. Um, so, and just, and then, you know, Sang Hoon's writing within that is just, um, just gives you more of the ammunition. And and I, I loved it because in a bedroom scene with um, James, I remember he would put in like little tidbits, like little lines that weren't necessarily written, but they were just like natural to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, as a Chicago improver, I always love that because it's like throwing a curveball into the scene, and yeah. it's just like, oh wait, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just it brings a natural like um, a natural buoyancy to the scene as well that just adds to it. So yeah, there was the scene in the Korean restaurant too. Yes, which that actually yes. there was a lot of improv in that scene. Okay, yeah, yeah. that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah how could that all be written out? Right? No, no, that was yeah. There was some improv in there for sure, and we did actually drink some soju. Um, <laughs> was that like an end of day kind of scene? Uh, yeah, you actually got yeah. to do some drinking. Yeah, a little. No, a little after small shooting, amount. we had dinner there, right? Yeah. I mean, they just kept bringing out food. Yeah, and it was so it was, yummy. Was I was delicious. like, James kept ordering. Keep yeah. the cameras rolling. Yeah, Keep right? the cameras rolling. This is good stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was in such good shape for the for the um for the shoot and he would like he would actually run to set um he was very like he was just in such good shape and took you know the cage fighting so seriously but he just his metabolism was probably so, so quick, high like, yeah. that he just kept you know ordering yeah. cream it was I yeah mean, it was yeah. hilarious like I'm, during I mean, the scene there, i've heard of worse days on set you it, know let's it, say it, that yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely those abs were not spray on no oh, that's for sure oh no, no um sir. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the character of Brianna because there are a lot of different emotional states that you have to go through. Was that difficult at all during it? I mean, coming from an improv background, you obviously have depth in and it's obviously played out in your performance. But I was curious about what it was like because there are some seriously emotional scenes in that. And I was wondering what your experience was doing those. Um, Wow. Yeah, as I mean, again, it's such a. Brianna, the character and the writing and everything was such a gift. It's like, it's awesome as for an actor to be able to tackle things where you look at the script and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. Um, But no, I mean, each, again, each scene, uh, being able to be in a room with a director that is uh, so on top of his directing abilities and um, being in the room with an actor that is so on top of his acting abilities it's honestly like once you get in there you just you're breathing the air that they're giving you um and it's like when you get lost or you're like i don't know you just you put all of your energy onto the other person and like i was i was lucky enough to have it fed back to me um so really just i was just honestly living in each moment as they were given to me um 
and what came out kind of came out. It's it's the best thing when you leave a scene and you're like, I don't remember what I did or what happened. Um, that's kind of how I know that I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. If they're like, so how did that feel? And I'm like, I have no, I, I have no idea. Did it look good? Yeah. Did it? You're just so in the character. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's taking it one step at a time, each emotion at a time. And, um, with the right words, those, the, that ebb and flow of emotion just luckily comes. It felt natural. It yeah. felt, yeah, it definitely felt like, yeah, going through spikes of anger and then into like sadness and then into like happiness is, was natural. Very nice. Uh, Eve, the last time we saw you, mm-hmm. you yeah. were in a very different type of movie. <laughs> yes. Very different. Uh, yes. <laughs> it was called Makeout Party. Um, Emily Esperanza. Yes, one of our, one of our favorite filmmakers. Um, it seems kind of obvious but tell us a little bit about the differences between being on set doing makeout party and uh doing banana season yeah i mean it was uh well i mean just right down to the way it was produced was very different makeout party was like an ultra low budget like diy experimental film and (laughs) banana season is um still an indie but definitely a little bit more of a traditional narrative and um a feature also so um and a much larger crew uh which was wonderful i mean as an actor it's great to have that kind of resources also on makeout party i was producing and acting which was a sort of insane uh yeah uh, undertaking on my yes. part i was also sort of the ad um so it was <laughs> many hats did yes. you also do craft services <laughs> yes, you know? yes were you yes, cooking I or? yes i was yeah um so that you know that was many hats for this it was such a gift to be able to just come in focus on my one thing which was acting and you know connecting with my scene partner which was mostly poncho um and i also had a a a son in this movie which was really cool like a, a child um so that was a really interesting sort of thing to think about like what would it be like to have a, a kid and and interact with this uh, like adorable his name is alec 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 a- alec and um he was just like a charming kid like nine-year-old i think we were just talking before this like he's going to be so much older we made this movie a couple years ago so right. we're going to see him at at the Siskel Center in, uh, next week, and it's like going to be so fun to see him. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a wonderful experience. It was like, it was fall, I think we were shooting, and the weather was beautiful. There was this one day we were shooting this picnic scene, and like the sun was setting, it was golden hour, and, and it was just a really beautiful experience. And to feel like everything was taken care of, I didn't have to worry about the craft services, and I didn't have yes. to worry, you know. So that that was that was really a gift, and um, it was a very different experience. They're both really valid and really wonderful, but um, it was really fun to just focus on the, the nitty gritty acting part of this. So, Eve, forgive me if I got the timeline wrong, but you've Aside from makeup party, I saw on the internet that you were also you went to France and you made a movie that, in French. What was it like speaking in French in a movie and then having to speak English again? Yeah, um, really fascinating experience. Um, that is a film that is still in production. It's called Sister Carrie. Daniel Neering is directing it. Um, and we were in France for three weeks in July. Um, uh, the last third of the film is in French and. It was an amazing experience. I had been working with a coach for the last like four months. On um, I took French in high school, and <laughs> um, you know, and I'd been studying a bunch li- leading up to this role. But um, luckily, my co-star in that, Fabrice um, Camille, he's a uh, he's French. He's from he's from Paris. So working with him and then working with my coach, who is also Parisian, really really helped. Um, uh, and it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I had never been to Paris, so to be in Paris, seeing the Eiffel Tower for the first time and shooting a scene in front of it was like, I was pinching myself. It was wild. It was really, really cool. Très chic. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. nice. Super cool. Certain <laughs> je ne sais pas. What the French call a certain, a certain I, I don't know what. what. <laughs> um, you yourself are a native of South Korea. Yes. And uh when did you come to the when did you come to the US? Uh I think I started going to film school 2000 2001 or something. Mm-hmm. I just came to Chicago after just 2 months after I got admission. So mm-hmm. first time I came here it was just crazy. First year was just all kind of a chaotic year. So yeah. uh, somehow I survived. I went to the art Institute of Chicago. Right. 
So a, a prestigious school. It is expensive. Truly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the first. That's and the then, first word that comes to mind. Yeah, but for me as an international student, pretty much same. Even if you go to the state school, if you don't have a scholarship, it's it's yeah, yeah pretty, pretty much same. So yeah, and then I just thought, okay, I will just work under the table. Hey, who cares? Chicago is a big city. Yeah. And then that was wrong idea. So one year after, I had to take a semester or two semester off because I didn't have any money. Went back to Korea. And then just work what I used to do at the time. I was a game director. I was making an online game at the time. Oh, really? So yeah, very uh, early stage of uh, multimedia, what is it, multi-user online game. Mm-hmm. So I don't, probably you guys don't know, like EverQuest Wait, you worked out? on no. Wait, you worked on everything? That kind of okay. <laughs> okay, just like that request is, is made by uh, Microsoft. So I oh, okay. yeah, in Korea. So in Korea, it's like a what real, can't you do? <laughs> love, love like a, a multi-user online game. So nine is I started making game called Mod Game, multi-user dungeon. So okay. it's a text-based game. If you type Norse and then there's a description, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. go Norse and then there's a goblin or a tech goblin and. That kind of weird game. That's, that's, that's game. really cool, though. That's yeah. So I was making game not because I love game, because my brother was running that company, so it was kind of family business. Mm-hmm. So I came back and then I finished school, and then after that, yeah, somehow I just survived. And then yeah, I watched a lot of Korean drama at the time, but not anymore. I'm kind of a. When I just talked about that yeah. drama, I have no idea. Do I know that drama? Yeah, it's but very recent. I'm sure that girlfriends. Oh, she's my half sister. Oh, yeah. you know they always have a weird relationship <laughs> going on. So, um, I've, you know, with uh, South Korea, we I've, I think we've really seen over the last 10? maybe ten, fifteen years, a while. There's been the South Korean film. Um, community the south korean film business has very much broken into the mainstream yeah it's broken into the mainstream in a lot of ways uh whether it's something like um the vengeance trilogy you know stuff like uh old boy um and more recently train to busan which again i went head over heels for i was like i did not know that you could still make a zombie movie interesting (laughs) and they absolutely did it in every way shape and form um what was your experience growing up in South Korea with films uh, versus what you what you found it's like now. Like, when you were growing up, were there a lot of American films available to see? Or was it mostly, like, just a few got through to South Korea? And do you think it's changed now? I think there's a huge change. When I was in Korea, like, in the 90s and then early 2000s, so there were not many filmmakers who just made their name internationally. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there were Korean films, but only, like, it was just screened for a Korean audience. Right. So, but after, like we said, Park Chan-wook, since his huge success, and then people think, okay, so our story can be interesting to international audience. So since then, there are so many films that are successful in, in you know, festival and then even European market and even here, too. But if I knew when I was in Korea it was going to be like this, maybe I wouldn't have moved yeah. <laughs> But it was very limited uh, kind of uh, uh, access to the uh, film and the even Korean film. There's not many films were made at the time, mm-hmm. way under 100 films. So, But mostly American movies. But we had censorship. Now, I think still there's a, some kind of a censorship. So then a lot of movies were uh, aired in TV. So I watched a lot of American movies, dubbed American movies. Mm-hmm. So, and then also uh, censored movie. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, I watched it on TV. And the first scene of the movie was that uh, you know young Jennifer Connelly is dancing, and then you know the uh, young. Uh, what is his character? Uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro yeah. Character is like a peeping outside the barn. That was the first scene. So actually, in the movie, there was maybe forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> right before me. that. Yeah, that kind of a uh, wow. And that's a movie that's been cut down already. That's like right. a four-hour movie that they turned into like right. maybe two. Yeah, and then a lot of dubbed movie. But I love to you know go to the movie theater with mm-hmm. a you know, subtitle. That was my only kind of a memory. And then my my sister was a filmmaker, so. That was my huge, huge influence. When I was a teenager, she's seven years older than I am. So she was my 
kind of hero. She talked about film set and then actors, and then I was like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> it's in the family blood. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of spectacular. Um, I think we've done a disservice to one of our guests, uh, silently sitting in the background, as you know, just kind of like watching it all happen. The reason we're all here today, yes, Mr. James Choi, who is the producer. And a superstar at that. Uh, and yeah. editor as well, and right? And editor as well for the yeah. film. Um, James, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with this project and uh, why you wanted to get involved with the project. Sure. Um, so Sangun and I had a mutual friend that we knew uh, that had introduced us a while back. Uh, and, you know, we stayed in contact. But, you know, he had written the script and he had come to me and said, hey, I'm looking for a producer. I don't have money. And I'm like, I don't have money either. Um, cool. Let's hang out. Yeah. <laughs> the Chicago so let, story. Right? <laughs> so uh, let's figure it out. And I think, you know, what drew me to the story is, I mean, this is a movie that was made a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, this is obviously right now in the forefront of film is all about diversity and all right. about trying to make movies for the under, you know, represented. Um, but back then, you know, you don't get scripts like that that come across your table or just people. I mean, and this isn't that long ago, but even uh-huh. back then, it wasn't like they were just flooding the market, uh-huh. right? So, you know, when he gave me the script, I mean, right off the bat, we have an Asian lead, a little person. Uh, and I was like, this is really interesting, right? These are characters we don't see very often. And so uh, right off the bat, that was really uh, sort of what drove me to to connect and, and move forward with this. And obviously he had some really great visuals in there, uh, as he mentioned, in regards to how he thinks about story. And when you're reading the script, like regardless of whether it's traditional and has those sort of traditional structured beats to it uh, that commercial movies might have, I, I just thought there was something there. And when I'm working with directors, it's really just about trusting that they're going to have a vision for the story. Uh, but if there are elements that are interesting, like the casting... Uh, that was ultimately what drove me to the project. I want to talk about your editing process because as anybody knows, you know, there's a million ways that a story can be told, but the one that gets published or the one that gets released is the job of the editor to really make tie that story together. And I really, I don't think that, I mean, there's a million ways that it can be done, but the way that you put it together, the pace is crisp and it's, it moves well and all of the beats are there. What was it like editing the film? And also, what's your background? Uh, thank you for that. I, I don't have a background in editing. Um, I mean, I've been producing and direct- a natural. Well, I've been directing and producing a lot of my own stuff, right. uh, features and otherwise. And I've been editing those more by necessity, maybe. Uh, I mean, I'd love to collaborate with another editor, but I've uh, been doing that on my own, uh, more out of necessity. And then... But I like editing, and so I just uh, approached him about the possibilities of doing that, and he was open to doing that. But when I'm editing, there it's not like I put an editor's sort of stamp on it, as traditional editors may. Sure. I mean, I think I just go instinctually, and then it's really, again, up to the director. I mean, I'm talking to the director to see how they feel about it, and ultimately they're going to make the decision. Um, but, yeah. Well, it's interesting, because uh, I love that... Sometimes, especially in film, a, a recurring theme is that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people wind up doing things on a film, in a film, that they just kind of are like, well, you know, someone has to do it. I might as well do it. And it turns out really great. Um, as Connor said, the pacing is great, very crisp. And uh, w- since you don't have any, you know, formal you do you don't really have formal training in it right right uh what was it like sitting down in front of a non-linear editing stage like you've got adobe premiere or final cut pro open in front of you and you're just like shit like <laughs> at, what, what was it like basically having to teach yourself the basics of editing and putting together not just you know some shorts but also this is a feature this is a feature length film yeah. about 100 hour 45 yeah, hour 45 uh did it get overwhelming at all no, I mean, Banana Season wasn't the first film I've I've edited right. two features prior to that. Okay. So it wasn't a process that was unfamiliar or overwhelming. I mean, I think this process went really fast. I mean, you know, I'm on the set watching them shoot it. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with the script. So at that point, once, I, once the footage is in, it's like it literally is a really easy process. You had it already kind of constructed in your head. Totally. 
So it wasn't difficult at all or long. Uh, I think the long part was just going back and forth with notes afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, the initial layout of the cut was really quick. How long did it take you guys to finish it and get the product that you were like, yeah, let's put this in the festivals? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Editing, first rough cut was really quick. And it was like even it didn't even take a couple of months. And then after that, we had a you know a Christmas break and all that. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we just tweak here and there. And then we got a picture lot, maybe almost one year after the shooting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, we had a lot of uh, VFX in the green screen. Yeah. We had to take care of it and the music. And then my musician and green screen and all that guy were in LA, so it was not easy to yeah. just. It's not like we sit down and do it together. So it always takes. Yeah, it's time a lot too. of sending emails yeah. and that yeah. sort yeah. of thing. But still, two years. That's that's pretty quick yeah. for for an indie film. That is pretty quick, and already it's going to be getting its premiere at the uh, Gene Siskel downtown. Tell us a little bit about the premiere. Um, well. Sangun can speak on that. He, he there's a connection there with the art school, so the, uh, the Art Institute of Chicago and Siskel. Yeah, so as you know, Gene Siskel Film Center is name is Gene Siskel Film Center of the Art Institute of Chicago. Right. So, and most of my film was screened there. I don't know because of uh, I'm alumni, and then yeah. I know director, and then you know all the programmers there. So that's good to have uh, know them and then also I always loved it, what Gene Siskel Film Center is doing like a small film festivals and they have their own program so they really uh, try to introduce art films and independent film especially local films they are really generous to local films mm-hmm. so yeah I'm really happy to have the uh, my Chicago premiere there, even if it is not festival venue. So if it's a festival, you can get another laurel on your poster. But yeah. I I feel really, you know, extremely kind of proud to show my first feature film there. All the films that I uh, screened was I was I produced or or I shot. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously it's my first feature film as the director. So yeah. yeah I mean. So saying when is the screening at the Gene Siskel? When can people go see Banana Season? Uh, we are going to have two screening on Friday, uh, Friday, October 5th, 8 p.m. And Sunday, October 7th, 5 p.m. So we're going to have two screenings at the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago. Two chances. Two chances to go Make see a night Banana of it, people. Yeah. And there will be a Q&A, right? And some of us will be there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. So come meet us. Yeah. Q&A, <laughs> Q&As are important in film. Uh, if you get a chance, especially, you know, I wish when I, whenever I saw a movie, I could do a Q&A with the director, you yeah. know, after I saw Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. Well, number Tom. one question. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why? That, I don't know if the director would have enjoyed that conversation. J.A. Boyega has to answer for what he did. Okay. All right. Or, or well, Bayona. Sorry. J.A. Bayona, not Boyega. Bayona. That is the guy from Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. Very high quality theater. We were recently there for a, for a private screening, and um, it had been a while. I think I, I think the last thing I saw there was, I don't know, an animated feature. It was my first time. It was your, yeah, your first time there. And it's a great place to have uh, a screening. If you've never been to the Gene Siskel Film Center, go over there because not only are they showing indies that are you know up and coming stuff like banana season get a chance to see something that you might not get to see anywhere else especially on the big screen you know uh but i believe at the siskel i saw uh one of my first andre tarkovsky films there i think i saw they're doing godard all the time yeah godard i think i saw some uh a little bit of kurosawa there i think i think i saw seven samurai at at uh, the Gene Siskel. So it's a fantastic place if you really love film. And if you really love film, you're going to love Banana Season. Um, are there any plans to distribute it in a traditional theatrical release or do some video on demand stuff? Yeah, I think we're going to eventually get there. I mean, we're still early on our festival right. run. So, um, you know, we'll ride this out for the next eight more months or, or so, another year. Right. Uh, you know, get it out to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Hit all the Nick and Nick and Nick and Crooks and yeah. all the little places. I mean, there's so many opportunities now and platforms. So mm-hmm. we want to get this out to as many people as possible, and then we'll explore those options. But there's so many great options now with distribution. So yeah, feel it, confident. It's it's a it's a wealth of options. Yeah, like absolutely. honestly, for for film lovers like Connor and I. Um, it's it's just a delight that we know so many filmmakers we've talked to recently. They're like, oh yeah, you can watch my film on Amazon for free if you have Prime or something like that, or it's going to get on Netflix. Like when we spoke with um, 
the director of Porto. Yep. It was just Gabe Klinger. Yeah, Gabe Klinger was just up on, on, Netflix. on Netflix, maybe like two weeks after we talked to him. And so, further still, there's always things like Vimeo. So yeah, Vimeo. I, there's constant levels and tiers of platforms. It's that you weird. Can I be feel using. like Vimeo yeah. is not nearly as popular as it probably should be. Yeah. Especially for people who are just like, I don't want to just watch, um, you know, some dude. What's that guy's name? Jake Paul. Oh, yeah. Just act like a dickhead Paul, for five minutes at a time when oh. I can watch a high quality film on yeah. Vimeo. God, you just put his face in my head and now it's stuck there. Yeah. Mm, that's anyway. too bad. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you can Vimeo is a great place um, and there's so many places if you're an upcoming filmmaker to distribute it. Uh, Banana Season. Fantastic film. Uh, Connor and I two thumbs way up. Two thumbs way, way up. Really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to watch it again tonight because I uh, one, I there's nothing uh i can really do i'm working at the movie theater tonight i'm just gonna hide upstairs and watch banana season again on my phone i think private screening private screening for myself uh thank you all so much for coming in today uh we really appreciate it uh where can we'll just we'll kind of like follow down again we'll start with you eve where can people find you on social media sure um you can find me on instagram um my handle is at evelyn moss um and i also have a website it's just my name eve um, same way. I'm also on Insta uh, at uh, Bren Stacker, so B R E N S T A C K E R. And then, um, yeah, www.brennanstacker.com. B R E N A N N. One in the middle, two at the end. Very nice. Second? Uh, I don't have much except for Banana Seed and Facebook website mm-hmm. and then Banana Seed and movie homepage bananaseason.com I do have Facebook but I don't have much usually my wife just tag me with my (laughs) so that's about it and you gotta have some privacy in your life yeah Yeah. Uh, and you can hit me up on Instagram as well at jcplv or on Facebook I have tons of stuff going on so I wanna collaborate with Chicago so hit me up yeah Chicago get in on it come on guys now's your chance Uh, thank you all again so much banana season is the name of the film Thank you so much for listening to No Coast Cinema. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. Um, again, check out our interviews from Middle Coast Fest. Check out uh, our interview from the Asian Pop-Up Cinema. Uh, there's so much great stuff going on. Um, the Chicago International Film Festival, I believe, is coming up pretty soon. So yeah, yeah. we're going to be trying to get into that, trying to get you the inside scoop. Uh, I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next time.